Hey, welcome. This is Pastor Tyler Whitcomb. I just want to say on behalf of the leadership of Fos Church, we are so glad that you're checking out the Fos Church podcast. At Fos, we believe in the authority of God's Word and the ability it has through the power of the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of mankind and to mold and shape its readers into the image of Christ. And so we pray that these messages would do just that, that you would hear God's word and be changed by it. Lastly, our encouragement is, if you do not belong to a local Bible-believing church, that you would do so, because a podcast will never allow you to serve the purpose that God has called you into belonging to the church. Well, good morning, church. Great to be worshiping with you all this morning. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if you've turned on the news at all this morning or you've seen anything on, on social media, uh, and I just wanted to address it just because I think some of you know um, just the, the small capacity I get to serve with the Shelby Township uh, Police Department. Yesterday, uh, one of their officers went down on duty, and um, I don't have a a ton of information probably that I'm probably privy to share. I'm, uh, I know there's already articles that have been uh, shared. Um, but I, did, I extend that to you because this is a community of faith where people that believe that prayer matters and pl- prayer does things. And so I'm calling on the church, the, our church, right here in this community, uh, to, to pray for the Shelby Township uh, Department. Um, many officers there are hurting and grieving and um, you know, they're, they're doing a tough job. A tough, tough job, and they're on the first line of defense in our society. And so, um, just for those uh, that serve with the Shelby Township PD, if you would be praying for them. Um, and just, yeah, yesterday getting that call that, that, that had happened, remembering that today I'm preaching on a title, a series title that's called Living Hope. Getting to talk about hope amidst any and all circumstances, difficulties, hardships, pains, loss. Did a celebration of life service here in the morning yesterday. You know, and if these things are realities, if loss is a reality, pain is a reality, hardships a reality, suffering's a reality, disease is a reality, then how do we as the people, you know, say that we have a hope, a real hope? Well, I think it's just that you heard in that song that death has lost its grip on me. Right, that, that what we believe about the Christian faith, the Christian Orthodox belief is that Christ has dealt with sin and he's dealt with death and that he offers life in it more abundantly. And so in a world where everything else is decaying, we get to talk about the one thing that can allow you to live forever. And that's what Peter's gonna address in our 10-week series. We're gonna, for the next 10 weeks, go through this book, First Peter, um, even just looking through my notes, there were times where I was going to say Paul, uh, just because it's so used to, you know, your New Testament, it's, you know, a letter. Okay, it's probably Paul. It's, it's the different P. It's Peter. So if I mix it up at all throughout this series, just know my belief is that Peter wrote First Peter. Okay? I don't believe it's Paul secretly doing it in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, in the background. No. Um, but, the, but Peter is writing a message this, to these churches about how they can have a real living hope that nothing else can touch. If you're joining us for the first time, um, we just finished an eight-week series going through Second uh, Timothy where we watched Paul getting ready to die, write a letter to his young son in the faith, Timothy. And he tells Timothy how you can live like you are dying. 
And that's what we entitled that eight-week series. And, and similarly, right, and you look back at, at 2 Timothy, Paul writes a letter and he says, this is the promise of life. And we know how it ends. Paul dies alone, cold, and in prison. And yet he says, this is the promise of life. Peter, likewise, similarly, is going to write to these various churches that have dispersed across all these different places and he's gonna tell them about the hope that's had in Jesus. Right, where it could be so easy to start thinking, like, hey, did we make a mistake? Like, did we miss the fine print? Like the infomercial I heard, I, I couldn't quite tell because they were saying really, really fast there at the end. What was that? Was that the part where they say, hey, you're gonna suffer? It's gonna be hard, it's gonna be difficult? Like, I missed that part. Like, I just saw the part where Jesus is walking around Jerusalem handing out free lunch. Man, I was in for that. But nobody told me I was signing up for this, this kind of difficulty. Did I miss it? Did I mess up? And should I continue on? And here, Peter is going to tell them to not let their hopes get down, but to get your hopes up. That the Christian message is about getting your hopes up. That they won't let you down. That if they're firmly placed and rooted in the person of Christ, you can have that hope. You can hold on to that hope. And maybe for you, you know, when you look at your own life or the world around you, and it has seemed to grown a bit dim, right? The world around you, you start seeing, okay, well, finances are getting hard. I mean, we're not leading, heading towards a recession. We're in a recession. We were, when the band was, we were getting ready to pray before uh, service, and we were in there, and we were just talking about how, uh, Groceries are like super expensive right now. Because I was talking about, you know, like, you guys probably can't tell, 3.1 pounds down. Come on now. But I've been cutting out Diet Coke, which if you know, for me, that, that's a huge thing. Um, and uh, well, there's other parts of it where we're saying, okay, we need to start eating at home more, not eating out as much. And I said, hey, that's good, not only on the waistline, but also the budget. And uh, it's actually, it's not right now. Groceries are expensive, are they not? And so we're, we're experiencing this, the difficulties of, you know, just the last few years and, and shutdowns and riots and all these things. And you just look at the world and you go, man, where's the light at the end of the tunnel? When is this getting better? Because it doesn't look like we're heading towards the light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, you're heading towards the light. As this world is wasting away around you, as your own body is wasting away you're heading towards the light as a Christian, right? And so we, 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 we might start thinking that, hey, though, the world around us, yes, it's getting dark, it's getting dim. Um, but here, this follower of Jesus, Peter, is pointing us back to a hope, a hope that lasts, a hope that doesn't fail, a hope that's eternal. You see, when the early church began being persecuted, there was a progression, at this point, most scholars would agree that 1 Peter was written 53, 54 AD, and so we aren't at the time of Revelation. Like Revelation, 96 AD, people are getting thrown to the lions, burned alive, sawn in two. That's not where Christianity's at at this moment. That's not the persecution they're facing necessarily. At this point in the ballgame, Christians, they're viewed as a roadblock to pleasure. They're the ones that need to be avoided. They need to be hurdled. Um, as uh, R.C. Sproul, a scholar, he said, that the, the Christian persecution can really be viewed as death by a thousand paper cuts. 
It was a progression. And maybe for you, 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 you'd say, hey, you know what? I kind of see that. I start, I, the, 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 world, the way Christianity is viewed in our society, and when we seem like we ought to be avoided, our morality, what we base our worldview on, like th- those things outdated, they seem bigoted, they, they, they seem all these things. And, and it's like, yeah, I don't necessarily feel overly comfortable telling people at my work or at other places in my life that, hey, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Because with that, there's the things associated with that. Right? People start viewing you differently. And so maybe we're not so eager to be loud and proud about the Christian faith. We start seeing the progression and you think, okay, how bad can this get? And if I look at the New Testament and I see how that progression went, eventually they're not just roadblocks. Eventually they're getting torched left and right. And that's what this crowd sees. They see hostility growing and it doesn't look like there's much hope to be had. And then Peter comes in with a message of hope like, don't get those hopes down, get them up. Get them up. I'm coming to you as the prime example of a guy that, yeah, has gone through the ringer. Now, I gave some major altar calls. Thousands of people coming forward. Well, guess what it cost me? Getting dragged out. Getting beaten and being told, okay, we're gonna release you, but stop talking about Jesus. You gotta love what they say back. We can't help but talking about what we've seen and heard. Like, Peter, man, I've touched them. I've experienced them. I saw those wounds, and I'm willing to go anywhere and everywhere to tell people about Jesus. And so Peter's saying, no, no, there is a hope that's worth it. And maybe for you, you're feeling that way, right? You haven't wanted to stand for Christian morals for some time now because it just seems less and less the dominant view, and more and more people are being critical of Christianity. Is it worth it? That's clearly where the audience is at. Like Peter lists out the audience location at the beginning of this book, right? As we read through it in our, in our opening scripture reading, you see Peter list out where you all are running from. The dispersion of, hey, all, you, you guys have all ran from these places. Well, guess what he's saying when he's saying, hey, guess what? I know exactly where you're all coming from. I understand you're not in Jerusalem anymore. I understand things aren't so easy. I understand that, that you're not in Kansas anymore. Right, like things have gotten increasingly hard, increasingly difficult, and it doesn't feel like you're at home. We're gonna get into that shortly, that thought that Peter's sharing. They're a long ways away from Jerusalem, and difficulty has reared its ugly head in their lives. But Peter says, no, no, guys, I'm telling you right out of the gate, right out of the gate, you're gonna see one of the major themes. There's about three major themes in the book of 1 Peter, living hope. The Christian life being a living hope is one of them. And he addresses that right out of the gate. But he's not pointing to blind optimism. He's not being whimsical about it. He's not just saying, hey, this isn't an empty call to a living hope. Points to a person. Points to a person where you can root your living hope in can you think back to some of your favorite gifts you ever received as a child? Like take just a moment and think of like, you know, three of those gifts that was like, man, I, Santa, please, been really good this year. You know, I clean my room while, you know, at least shove stuff underneath my bed, but, you know, I've tried to be good. You know, 
don't attack anybody, I'm relatively okay. Can you give me what I want? Anybody ever have that? Ever have that moment where on like Christmas morning you got just the thing that you were hoping for? Man, you guys were all just so, so underprivileged. Just didn't get what you wanted. Let's, let's, let's talk to your folks. Um, but I can, I can think back to, to some of those gifts. I think back to this, um, my parents did get us on bicycles probably in hopes that we would be active. But they did get us one of those like electric car things that you could ride around. So I had one of those. And I remember on Christmas morning, like it all being there and thinking, wow, this is awesome. And, and then I remember that one year I got the PlayStation 2. That was sweet. And then I got the PlayStation 3. And then I got the Peyton Manning jersey. It was a huge Peyton fan, Indianapolis Colts. Y'all feel that? Because as, as Lions fans, you need a second team, right? That was my second team. Peyton was my guy. Um, and I, I didn't get all these gifts in the same year, okay? I wasn't that spoiled. Um, but in that, I can think back to some of those gifts, and I'm sure you can too. And my question for you, the reason why I ask you that question is to follow up another question. Where are those gifts today? I don't know either. My guess is rotting away at some dump. They've been disposed of. They no longer exist. And so for us, it's easy to think about good things, gifts, and we can think about things that just fade away over time. Things that won't hold their value, won't hold their weight, and eventually become meaningless. Was Jesus just one of those things that he was exciting for a time, but given enough time, right? A couple decades pass at this point. Is it still fun? Is it still worth it? Is it still, that's still that same zeal that people once had? Is it dwindling? Which is what we're talking about today. Right, as I mentioned, these first century saints that began to see the thrill of Christianity, or so they thought, was slipping away. That that hope was fading. And Peter will come in to remind them that unlike any other hope, the Christian hope is one that is unfading. And so for you and I, this is our big idea this morning. In order to have a hope that can't be touched, our hope needs to be put in a place that's outside this world. If you want a hope that's unfading, unending, eternal, you can't put in anything in this world. Put in any relationship, it's gonna fail. Give it time, it will fail. That person will fail you if that's where you place your hope. If it's status, if it's finances, if it's you put anything temporal as your hope, it does not hold up career, title, status. It will fade. And here Peter reminds them of the hope that never fades. If you have your Bibles, we're starting in First Peter. We'll look at the first two verses. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I love this opening line. Peter acknowledges himself as the author of this letter, and then he tells us who he's writing to and by what authority he's writing. Do you see what authority that Peter is writing under? He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to 
Jesus Christ. Peter just identified the triune God. You know, in the sacred text, you don't see this a ton. You don't see writers in the same breath talking about the Trinity. But Peter here brings up all three heads of the Godhead. And so Peter lets his audience know by what authority he's writing to them under. But something I don't want you to miss either is, is look at what Paul calls his audience. Look what he calls them. He calls them the elect exiles. Your translation could say strangers or aliens. Paul is saying that he's writing to people that this is not their home. That this is not their home. Period. Do you see that? Calls them exiles. This is, this is a foreign land to you. Anybody else starting to feel like this world's foreign? Right? And the, and the more and more you, you see yourself as a Christian in this lost and broken world, you're trying to navigate it all, you just kind of feel like a foreigner. Like, why, why do I feel like the outsider? Well, well, Peter, right out of the gate, he's telling you, you know, hey, hey, that, that feeling of unsettledness that you're feeling is real and right as a Christian. You should not feel at home here. This is not home. Don't get too comfortable. I mean, this is a waiting room to the real home. Paul would say in other parts of the scriptures that our citizenship is not of this earth. But here, Peter, he calls them these elect exiles. It's this idea, you know, as Christians, we could say, man, there are things that I genuinely enjoy here, though. Anybody say that? Even though, hey, we're, we're foreigners, maybe not feeling like we're at home. There's still good things here, right? Am I the only one that ever goes to Texas Roadhouse? <laughs> I mean, that's just common grace. And we experience those good things, and we enjoy those good things. And, and it's like, man, uh, there's some things here that I could get used to. So is this wrong? No, I think Peter doesn't acknowledge it. It's not wrong to have enjoyment here or experience common grace here. But I do think it's kind of this like idea that, I mean, you could travel anywhere. Travel to the nicest hotels, the nicest beaches. But eventually you remember that that's not your bed. That's not your shower. That's not your pillow. Eventually that gets to a point of, I miss home. Right, I miss what, this isn't, this isn't you, you, you know that this isn't where you're supposed to actually be. And for the Christian, enjoy, enjoy the beaches, enjoy the bed, enjoy the pillow, but ultimately remember this isn't home. This isn't home, be reminded of that. C.S. Lewis stated in his famous book, Mere Christianity, he says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Peter writes this to his audience and says right out of the shoot that that feeling of unsettledness is there because yes, you're a Christian and your citizenship is not of this world. Don't feel like this is home. Peter, of all people, had to learn this. I mean, remember back to those gospel accounts? Remember back to what those first disciples thought about Jesus? They thought, oh, finally our Messiah is here. And what he's gonna do is he's gonna liberate us from Roman oppression. And he's gonna set up kingdom and shop right here. And man, we're gonna be co-heirs with him. This is gonna be awesome. Those people that were once oppressing us, we're gonna be able to oppress them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna enjoy this kingdom right here, right now. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, that's, 
guys, you're missing it. I'm not, I'm not talking about an earthly kingdom. I'm talking about a spiritual kingdom that's being established that I'm bringing. And so he, of all people, had to learn this isn't home. That there was another kingdom that was not of this world that he'd have to ultimately pledge allegiance to. So it's almost as if Peter's saying, hey, I too had to learn not to put my eggs in this basket. But just because you don't put them in this basket doesn't mean that it's wrong to have those eggs. Right? It's not wrong to have hope. He's just telling you that this world's a really crummy basket. This world is a really crummy place to, to it's, a, it's a misplaced hope. It's a bad basket. But I'm going to tell you where you can find a good basket. I'm going to tell you about this living hope. So that hope you have, well, let me show you where to place it. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I can imagine the original audience hearing that, right? These people that have dispersed over various trials, whatever those are, they've experienced difficulty. They've experienced, yes, the, the, this is no longer the honeymoon stage for the, Christian, for the Christian world. They're in the thick of it now. They're experiencing what it really means to be a Christian. And P- Peter comes in, talking to a suffering church, and he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Could you imagine that falling on some deaf ears? Could you imagine people thinking, what on earth? You're talking about blessing? Have you looked around, brother? What blessing is there to be had? And even look at the grammar. I mean, I mean look back at that verse. Do you see? How, what? Exclamation point. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boom! I just said that. I just dropped that bomb on you. Man, he says it with some emphasis. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and God, imagine the audience is almost like, why are you you starting off with this doxology? You haven't sold us on the blessing yet, brother, and yet you come in right away and you're telling us about blessing that's found in our Lord Jesus Christ. But here he, he, he moves within the verse. And Peter moves from the doxology and he ties praise to the purpose. And this is where we can all relate. This is, this, is what, this is why he's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, according to the mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so Peter brings up that idea of rebirth, that you've been born again Man, have you forgotten about that, people? Like, I know you're looking around at the circumstances, and they seem hard, and they seem difficult, and and there's struggling and persecution all around you, but you've been born again. And I'm looking at a room of some people that I know are messed up. I just said that about you guys. Like, that's not Peter. That's me talking about you all. And I I can see myself in reflection, so don't don't think I'm thinking I'm holier than thou. Uh, but if I asked you to come up and share, just, hey, share the dirty parts of your life. Anybody rushing up to grab one of those microphones? 
Anybody rushing to grab it to, to, to tell us about how messy and dirty your life is? I don't see any takers. I don't see any hands raised. So I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll, move, we'll keep moving. I won't call on anybody. But you've been born again. And so what Peter is reminding the suffering church, hey, all that grime of your past, that life you once lived, the things you're so ashamed of, well, guess what? Jesus dealt with that. Jesus offers redemption for you. No matter how difficult or broken or messy or sinful your past is, Jesus says, hey, I can give you new life. You can be born again to a living hope. Why? Because of Jesus' resurrection. You see that in the text? That's what he's pointing to. That's what he's pointing your praise towards. Why, why you could praise Jesus, why you could say blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is because, guess what? He dealt with your brokenness. He, he unveiled the end of the tunnel and he offers a light and he offers a way out. And so, yes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I, I know that everything's going around you and it seems, man, Christianity, yeah, it's, it's seemingly wasting away or we're... we're we don't have status. That's okay. Everything else in this world can fade away. Everything else in this world can fade away. But Jesus has offered and given you something that's unfading, imperishable, eternal, and it's a source of hope kept for you in heaven. Look, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to you. It just means you have a reason to praise God before you go to bed at night. Unimaginable things can happen to you in your life that you would never wish for. And if we've come to Jesus in the hopes that bad things don't happen, we don't properly understand our mission in the world. Listen, this broken and decaying world is not our job to fix. That may seem, seem as a shock. That might seem as a shock. You may think, where are you going with this, Tyler? You're gonna have to catch us up here. Our job as Christians, as the church, is not to fix this broken world. Because guess what? It's decaying. It's decaying. And so the church's job is not to make this world a better place. The church's job is to be the better place. The church's job is to be the better place, to offer a light, a way out. What we see in Colossians 1, the thing that, that God has done for us in the person of Jesus is that he's transferred people from the domain of darkness and into the light of his beloved son. And the domain of darkness ain't going anywhere, people. It ain't. I mean, I mean this is our, our mission in the world is not to, to cause the darkness to no longer exist, but it's us to bring light into dark places and offer hope in the person of Jesus. And the good news is not that God has just taken you from your past mistakes and your sins and he's forgiven you of them and redeemed you of them. That, that is amazing. That's amazing news. But that isn't the crux or the fullness of the gospel. If we just view that I've been made right with God and my sins have been forgiven, there's more to the gospel. That's clearly part of the gospel. The good news continues. And Peter points to their focus to the eternal and says, you have an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. So it's not just sins have been forgiven, but now that also there's been an inheritance given to you for all of eternity. Isn't it that he just dealt with your bad, but that he's given you something? He's given you new life in Christ for eternity. 
Don't miss it. There's an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. And that's what I was talking about up front. We don't have a concept for this. Our our humanness does not have a concept of this because everything we know will eventually fade away, will eventually perish, and it will get defiled. It's kept for us, though. This gift, this inheritance does not waste away. Let's look back at our text. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter says that you can always find room to praise our great king. And what comes next can almost seem harsh to people who dispersed over persecutions. It's almost as if Peter minimizes their suffering when he says this next line. When he says, though now for a little while, man, that's gotta be hard to hear for people that probably feel like I'm in the ringer of it and I don't see it getting much better. Like how, how in the world are you telling me that this is for a little while? I mean, doesn't Paul say the same thing? First Corinthians this light and momentary affliction is producing for you an eternal weight of glory that far awaits it all. And this stuff only seems temporary when you look at the scope of eternity. When you, when you, it, doesn't look, it doesn't look temporary in the moment, right? It feels difficult in the moment. It feels hard in the moment. And isn't this such a reminder that time on earth is passing away that Peter would look at this, this struggling church these people that are going through great difficulty, and his encouragement is, is don't worry, even the suffering is wasting away. Even the suffering will too perish. Even the suffering isn't forever. There's one thing that's forever that he's pointing them to, and that's a living hope in Jesus. But that, yes, the suffering is now, now for a little while. Because in the midst of pain, um, we don't want to, Look at the good that could potentially be from here. But ultimately, look at what Peter attributes the, the suffering of the Christian to. Like if you're a Christian, you understand suffering, have a theological concept for suffering. Look at what Peter calls the suffering or what he points the suffering to. That it would teach you the beauty of Christ. That Verse seven, that you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse six would say you're gonna suffer And verse seven is so that it may result in you seeing, understanding the beauty and the glory of Christ. That in this midst of this difficulty, when you're brought low and when you feel like you've got nothing else to turn to, that you would actually see Jesus more clearly. And that was the design of the curse. You look back at Genesis three, when God pronounces the curse, he, 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 man, it's It's nasty. Things women are going to go through, things men are going to go through. Oh, the, the ground itself is cursed. But if you remember Genesis 1, there's shalom, there's peace, there's a, a rhythm of life that's perfect. And Adam and Eve don't know the right of the, the difference between good and evil. They're dependent on God for everything. They're dependent on God for everything. And so when God allows the curse of sin to enter the world or the, or the result of the sin, the curse that he gives, 
wasn't so that humanity would run away from God, but rather it would be so that they would run towards him, back to that dependence, back to that need. There's a pastor, uh, Harris Creek Baptist Church in Waco, Texas, Jonathan Pecluda, he once stated this, if dependence is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. If dependence is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. And so Peter isn't trying to minimize pain, but he is trying to allow this suffering church, these saints, to get a bigger picture of their suffering. To see it as a more meaningful, that it isn't purposeless, that, that yes, the world is wasting away around you, but that, that, that everything in the Christian life, it's pointing to a living hope. That we're being, we're being renewed day by day. For what purpose? Eternity with God forever and the glory of his name. And so yes, the suffering, don't, don't waste it. Don't waste that suffering. Don't waste it because yes, your time here is gonna be short. Everything else will perish, but you have one thing that won't and it's the person of Jesus and your relationship with him. And so would everything take you to a deeper level of praise of God the Father? that he would show you his sufficiency, that in the middle of your pain and your heartache and your difficulty, that he can and will be enough. And this is a radical idea, that God uses pain to teach you more about his beauty. That he would allow pain to be a teacher to you. And so yes, though this world and its fun things can waste away, so is suffering. And all the while, what God is doing for the believers, he's building up them up. He's sanctifying them and making them more like Jesus. And this is the hope that we get to cling to. This is the hope that we can cling to. I'm not asking you to cling to a set of rules. I'm not asking you to cling to <clears throat> Sunday church. Yes, I want you here on Sundays. I promise you that. Cards on the table. But even this, this imperfect gathering of people would not hold up your hopes. But Jesus can. Jesus can. And he calls us as the church to be his hands and feet in the lost and broken world. And yes, we're not making the world a better place. The church is the better place. And we come in and we offer a space. We offer room at the table for those that might be on the down and out, those that might be hurting and going through the ringer. And if you're here today and you say, hey, I don't have that hope. When all I have is this natural world around me and I just look at it and I think, man, I might, I might have 75, 80, 90 years here. And at the end, it's done. And so if this is it, this, this is the only hope I have, and it looks pretty dim. It looks pretty dim. But the church, we offer more. Again, I've said this over and over. The Christian life is not about having more. It's about experiencing more, right? It's not about more wealth. It's not about more status or more prestige, but that you get to experience life deeper and more meaningful than any, than any other person. Right? As the Christian, Jesus offers the fullness of life, and that's the living hope that it doesn't ever go away. It's eternal. Jesus offers that. And so, yes, if you're here and you don't have that and it is dim, I want to offer that to you. I want to make that available today to you. It's as simple as confession and repentance. 
belief in Jesus Christ, that God raised him from the dead, you would be saved. You'd be saved. No longer wonder what's gonna happen for eternity after. No longer wonder what's gonna happen after death. But that you can be fully, freely, forever forgiven today. That new life would be reborn into a living hope. That was possible because Jesus accomplished it for you. Through relationship with him, you have access to this hope. Let me pray for us.